Coming up next, please join us for Real Israel Talk Radio. This is episode 116. In summary, 0600 hours is called the sixth hour of the morning. This is going to be very important to understand when you begin reading about the narrative of Yeshua appearing before Pilate at the sixth hour of the day. It's not at 12 noon like you would think it would be. Shalom, friends. This is Avi Ben Mordechai, and you're tuned into Real Israel Talk Radio. This is episode 116, and it's part three, my analysis of Yeshua's Passion Week timeline from his Passover to his crucifixion to his third day resurrection. And on this program today, we're going to be taking a look at the Second Temple Period time and date structures, because all of this plays an important part into our understanding of all of the 27 events that I mentioned in an outline form from last week's program. So this is an important aspect to understanding how everything played out in that week. So this is why I am including this as part of our overall study. And I do hope to offer some plausible answers to what I would consider some problematic timing and chronology of Yeshua's Passion Week, as it is called. So again, this is program episode 116 and part three, in case you want to make a reference back to this particular study. In presenting the material today, my objective is to prepare us for a detailed journey ahead, which will immerse us into the disputed calendar issues of the time. Understanding these core issues will help all of us tremendously in following all that I will be presenting to you on this program and in upcoming episodes. Now, many are not aware of the time and date calendar disputes that were predominant in the days of Yeshua. In that time of his ministry, there were actually three different calendars that were operating simultaneously. And perhaps you could even say four calendars, but I'll stick with these three basic calendars, one Roman secular calendar, and two Jewish religious calendars. Consequently, when reading through the narratives of Yeshua's last Passover week, many will oftentimes miss what is going on behind the scenes, because they are not aware of the workings of those calendars as well as the Second Temple period Jewish religious culture and law. And if one is not aware of all of these things that we're going to be talking about today, I think the result is that it can lead to a lot of mistakes when seeking to understand what was really going on during Yeshua's last Passover week, at least as we're reading it according to the Gospel narratives. So, if all of us can become knowledgeable in the workings of the calendars in the time of Yeshua, 
and at least making a good effort at trying to understand Second Temple period Jewish religious culture and law, then I think we have a pretty good chance of gaining a good working understanding of how the events likely played out in those final seven days before Yeshua's crucifixion. To follow along with this study, I do suggest strongly that you access the two calendars that I built for this program series. I labeled them Exhibit A and Exhibit B. Both calendars can be found on my website, and you can access them online, or you can download and print them at your leisure. Also, if you wish, you can freely distribute them to others that you might think will find some interest in the chronology that I'm going to be presenting here. The address where to find the two calendars is simply www.cominghome.co.il. Again, cominghome.co.il. And when you arrive at my website homepage, simply navigate over to Free Resources on the navigation menu. Then click on the drop-down list and choose Podcast Extras. Again, Podcast Extras. The two calendars, labeled Exhibit A and Exhibit B, are based on the Roman Julian calendar and what we would today call Year 27 of the Common Era. In an upcoming episode... I will be speaking about this in greater detail and the reasons why I chose that particular year, year 27 of the Common Era, as the representative year for all of the events that involved the ministry of Yeshua, along with His crucifixion and His resurrection. Now, on my last episode, number 115, and part two from last week's podcast series, I went through a kind of outline of 27 chronological events that I believe might be the correct timeline that played out in that final week of Yeshua leading to His crucifixion and third-day resurrection. Now, I cannot say with absolute certainty that what I came up with is exactly how it all played out, because I don't know. But this is my best educated guess based on the research that I did, along with a lot of prayer and seeking Abba in heaven for some answers to clear up so much of this chronological mess in that final week of Yeshua. So, if you wish... Do go back and replay my last episode, part two in this program series, if you perhaps want a refresher of the information that I presented. In the meantime, we're now going to move forward and speak about the era of the Roman, the Judean, and the Qumran Second Temple Period calendars, and 
how they were joined to the Jewish religious culture and typical Jewish religious law. If you're ready, it begins now. Our first stop is going to be Structures of the Judean Official Pharisaic Calendar and the subject of Rosh Chodesh. And when I say official, I am simply referring to the fact that the official Judean calendar was pretty much Pharisaic and pretty much Sadducean. Although not everyone agreed with everything, but I'm calling it official because this calendar was in fact the calendar in the nation of the Jews and the Israelites of that time period. This is pretty much what was predominant in that time frame. The traditional Jewish calendar in Yeshua's day, henceforth the Judean official calendar, for lack of a better term, was determined based on the testimony of two witnesses who were summoned to appear before the Jewish religious high court to give eyewitness testimony of the arrival of every new month, 12 times in a year. Then the declaration of each new moon was always announced by the Jewish Sanhedrin, who would then receive the testimony of the status of the moon based on the testimony of those two witnesses that they called to give testimony about how the moon appeared to them. Immediately after the high court declared a new moon, with the first day being referred to as Rosh Chodesh, or the beginning of the months, we learn this based on Exodus 12, 1-2. Now Yehovah spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This Chodesh, that's the Hebrew word that is used in that passage, this Chodesh, or month, shall be your beginning or your head of the Chodeshim, or the months. It shall be the first Chodesh, or the first month of the year to you. Once again, the Jewish high court, referring to the first day of each sighted new moon, 12 times a year, they referred to it by the term Rosh Chodesh meaning new moon in old school theology. Because in reality, Rosh Chodesh has nothing to do with the way the moon appears in the sky based on the amount of light that is reflecting off of its faces. Before the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls in 1947, that was the traditional and typical way of scholarship. It was to simply translate Chodesh as moon, or sometimes as month, because this is all that any among the biblical scholars knew or understood at the time. But after the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls in November of 1947, we were blessed to be able to understand the real meaning of Rosh Chodesh after it came under a lot of academic scrutiny. In the late 1990s, 
After nearly 50 years of scholarly research into the Dead Sea Scrolls, scholars and Dead Sea Scroll researchers began to accept that the same meaning as Chodesh Yireach, New Moon. Many scholars over the years have now begun to adopt this updated meaning. So, based on this fresh research, I am therefore suggesting that Rosh Chodesh should be understood as the beginning of a new month. And according to the Dead Sea Scrolls, a new month was always 30 days. So, it's the beginning of a new 30-day month cycle as a reset of the previous 30-day moon cycle, irrespective of how much physical light actually reflects off of the moon's surface, whether it is a quarter, a half, three quarters, a full moon, or yes, even a dark moon. So in a given cycle of one year, the Judean authorities counted 12 cycles of new moons as they counted months, each with a moon cycle that alternates between 29 and 30 days. Obviously, this had its problems because in counting days based on this method, it simply means that a lunar year is 354 days, whereas the Qumran solar year was 364 days, or if you're counting by today's reckoning, 365.25, which is corrected every four years and applied to the month of February. It's commonly referred to as a leap year. To correct the timing between the sun and the moon, that is, between 354 days for the moon cycle and 364 days for the sun cycle, a 13th month of 30 days was added to the religious calendar every few years in order to compensate for the time-traveling distances between the movements of the two orbs. Technically, this is called intercalation, that is, to add a leap month to the Jewish calendar so that the seasons would always remain in their place. Otherwise, the Passover season would just be drifting all over the place, and in Pharisaic Judaism, they just didn't want that happening, so they did this intercalation business. Now, to make certain that the Passover season would never drift from where it is always supposed to be, according to the divine command to do the Passover in the springtime, according to Exodus chapter 12, a traditional search for aviv barley took place every year at the end of 12 moon cycles. And in my many, many years of living in Israel, I myself participated in those aviv barley searches. At the time, that's all I knew and that's all I accepted and lived by. And this was one of several methods to always keep the Passover festival synchronized with the correct season for its celebration in the springtime, according to Exodus chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. 
Okay, with all this being said, let us now go on and talk about defining the Judean periods of day and night. And what I'm going to talk about here is the way day and night was reckoned in the days of Yeshua. According to Jewish daytime reckoning, 0900 hours or 9 o'clock in the morning is called the third hour. 1200 hours was understood to be high noon, and it was called the sixth hour. 1500 hours or 3 o'clock was considered the ninth hour. Then, following an end-of-day sunset at 1800 hours, daytime reckoning then begins its shift over to nighttime reckoning. And ancient biblical nighttime reckoning was split up into three watches. Biblically, the first watch was approximately 1800 hours to 2200 hours, or about 6 o'clock to 10 o'clock. Then, 2200 hours to 0200 hours, or if you will, 10 o'clock to 2 o'clock, which passes through the midnight reckoning, that was considered the second watch of the night. Then, 0200 hours to 0600 hours, or if you will, 2 o'clock to 6 o'clock of those dark hours, that was considered the third watch. So again, there's only three watches in the night in the biblical Hebraic culture going all the way back to Moses. Then with the arrival of sunrise, nighttime reckoning then shifted back to daytime reckoning with the first hour of the morning beginning with sunrise at 0600 hours. And then the process repeats itself again and again and again. The next thing that I want to talk about involves the Judean mixtures of light and dark morning and evening. When the orb of the sun rises to its zenith and passes through the midpoint of a day, any day, it doesn't matter, it is generally referred to in many cultures as afternoon. Of course, what we know as midday or afternoon was to the ancients the idea of a solar noon. Now, that is not what they called it. That's what modern-day astronomy calls it, the solar noon. And this is when the sun begins descending into the west until it finally disappears below the western horizon in what we call sunset. In Hebrew, sometimes it is written as uv'erev be'erev, meaning to blend or to mix two evenings. Or we could put it as afternoon in Hebrew, tzoraim, and this was always a very special time of the day. And for example, you can see 2 Chronicles 13, 11. And they burn to Yehovah every morning and every evening. The Hebrew concept here for every morning is the third hour. And every evening, the Hebrew there in that text is uv'erev be'erev, 
and it refers to the ninth hour. However, most of the time in the biblical Hebrew texts, the term sunset is referred to as Bo Hashemesh. Again, Bo Hashemesh. To translate that, it's simply the coming of the sun. That is called sunset in the biblical narratives. For example, 2 Chronicles 18.34, The battle increased that day, and the king of Israel, in that case it's Ahab, he propped himself up in his chariot facing the Syrians until evening. And I would call that Erev number one. In Hebrew, Tzoraim, afternoon, at about the time of sunset, which I would call Arab number two, he died. So this is giving us a time frame of about six hours between Arab number one, Tzoraim, and Arab number two. Bo HaShemesh, the coming of the sun, but they're both referring to Arab or a mixture. And there's also this from Joshua 10, 26 through 27. And afterward, Yehoshua, or Joshua, struck them and killed them, and hanged them on five trees, and they were hanging on the trees through the evening. The Hebrew word there in that passage is Erev, and I'm simply calling it Erev number one. Or we could put it as afternoon in Hebrew, Tzoraim, so it was at the time of the Bo Hashemesh, that's the Hebrew phrase that's used in that passage, at the time of the Bo Hashemesh, or the coming of the sun, which I would call Erev number two, because it's the sunset, where the sun is setting below the horizon, Joshua commanded, and they took them down from the trees. These passages refer to what we would call 1,500 hours in military time, that is, the ninth hour or about three o'clock. Back in biblical days, it was a time frame understood as the middle of two evenings. The afternoon descent of the sun into the west, referred to as Erev, or what we might call evening number one, and the actual setting of the sun below the horizon, evening number two, referred to in the Hebrew as Bo Hashemesh, the coming of the sun when it sets. Thus, one day in biblical Hebrew was understood as encompassing one morning and two evenings referring to a six-hour period from about noon to sunset, or as it is written in Hebrew, Ben Harbaim, in between the evenings. So, for example, in regards to the divine law of the Passover, or Pesach, we learn this from Exodus 12, verse 6. Now you shall keep him, referring to the Passover lamb, until the 14th day of the same month, or the same Chodesh in Hebrew. 
Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall slaughter him or kill him, referring to the lamb. And then the Hebrew text goes on to speak of this event as Bain Ha'arbaim, meaning in between the evenings, which is what we would call in modern English twilight. There is also this in the book of Numbers or Bamidbar, chapter 28 and verse 4. The one lamb you shall offer in the morning, and the other lamb you shall offer Bain Ha'arbaim, that is, in between the evenings, which is where we get that idea of three o'clock in the afternoon, halfway between the zenith of the sun at 12 noon and the setting of the sun on the western horizon at about six. Now it's time for me to take a quick break, so I'll come back and talk more about this, okay? This is Avi Ben Mordechai. And you're listening to Real Israel Talk Radio. Welcome back to the second half of Real Israel Talk Radio. This is episode 116. Here is your host, Avi Ben Mordechai. Welcome back to Real Israel Talk Radio. I'm Avi Ben Mordechai. Thanks for joining me today on this study. I am speaking about the Hebrew concept of two evenings, which I would simply call evening number one and evening number two. We could call evening number one the afternoon period, when the sun begins its westerly descent toward the western horizon. And then evening number two, or Erev number two, would then be referred to as Bo Hashemesh, that is, the coming of the sun. You can actually see that idea in Psalm 19, verses 1 to 4. So we know from the Bible that one day was understood as encompassing one morning and two evenings, referring to a six-hour period of what I might call double shine from about noon until sunset, six hours, or as it is written in Hebrew, Bain Ha'arbaim, which is what gives us the idea of in between the evenings. And another term for referring to the setting of the sun right around that midpoint between those two evenings is in Psalm 141, verse 2, written in Hebrew as Minchat Erev, oftentimes translated to English as the midday evening offering. Psalm 141, verse 2, Let my prayer be set before you as incense, the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice, as it's translated to English in the New King James Version of the Bible. So, once again, this refers to a biblical time frame that we know to be about 1,500 hours in military time, or about 3 o'clock, which is halfway between the two evenings, something that I'm calling Erev 1 in Hebrew, Sa'oraim, and evening number 2, Bo Hashemesh, the setting of the sun, or the coming of the sun. 
So this Hebraic background should most definitely help us to understand passages such as the book of Amos, chapter 8, verse 9. And it shall come to pass that in that day, says Jehovah Elohim, that I will make the sun go down at noon. The Hebrew concept there is from Tzoraim. That's the afternoon. And I will darken the earth in broad daylight. I think this will help us totally understand the whole crucifixion narrative of Yeshua. Matthew 27, verses 45 through 50. And I've abridged this reading for purposes of time and space. Now from the sixth hour, that's Tzoraim, or afternoon, until the ninth hour, that's between noon and sunset at six, the ninth hour, there was darkness over all the land. And about the ninth hour, in Hebrew, Bain Harbaim, in between the evenings, Yeshua cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of those who stood there, when they heard that saying, they said, this man is calling for Eliyahu or Elijah. Well, immediately one of them ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, and put it on a reed and offered it to him to drink. The rest just said, I'll let him alone. Let's see if Elijah will come to save him. Of course, they were mocking him. And Yeshua cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And what time was that? At about the ninth hour, 1,500 hours or three o'clock. That is, in between the evenings. So all of this shows us something really important, that within one 24-hour day in the biblical time frame of one day, there were five defined day parts in Hebrew Scripture. Yeah, five defined day parts. The first day part begins with what is called in Hebrew, Boker, or in English, morning. And it begins with sunrise at about 0600 hours, or 6 o'clock, and then it goes until 12 noon, which is the zenith of the sun, when it's at its highest point in the noonday sky. Okay? That's called morning in biblical Hebrew, Boker. Then, Evening number one, or what the Hebrew would call as an afternoon, or tzoraim, and it begins just after the sun reaches its zenith and begins its western descent towards the western horizon, where it will set at about 1800 hours or 6 o'clock. That is the second of five defined day parts. That is called Evening number one, or Erev number one, or you could say in Hebrew, Tsa'olaim, 
which is actually a plural word in Hebrew referring to afternoons, because there are two day parts within that afternoon time frame. Okay, now let's go to the third of the five defined day parts. This is evening number two, or Erev number two. And this begins at sunset, when the sun dips below the western horizon at the time that would be about 1,800 hours, or let's just call it 6 o'clock, which is basically sunset. And that evening number two, or era of number two, it only lasts for about an hour, roughly, until 1,900 hours, or about 7 o'clock, when three stars begin to appear in the nighttime sky. And if you've ever been around Jewish Orthodox people, you'll hear them refer to that time frame just after sunset as waiting for the three stars to appear. So from sunset until those three stars, that is Erev number two or evening number two. Number four of the five defined day parts in Hebrew scripture, this is called in Hebrew Lila. We call it by the English term night, and it begins about 1900 hours or seven o'clock. And keep in mind, this is going to be Jerusalem time, because if you're way up in the Northern Hemisphere, Norway, Denmark, Sweden, Finland, Canada, in the Northern tier states of America, you get the point. Then, of course, things are going to be a lot different. So we're always basing this on Jerusalem time. So this is called Lila, roughly seven o'clock when three stars begin to appear. And that time frame of Lila or night continues on all through the nighttime hours until you arrive at roughly 0500 hours or what we would call the dawning of a new day or the break of day or first light. That comes right around 0430 hours to about 0500 hours, or 430 to about 5. Again, we refer to it as dawn, first light, the period of daybreak. It's those kinds of ideas when those reddish streaks with dark blue light begins to break on the eastern horizon. The fifth and final defined day parts in Biblical Hebrew is referred to as shachar. The Hebrew word shachar means black or dark. And so it's fitting to call the early morning 0430 to 0500 hours when the dawn or the daybreak or that early first light. That again is called shachar in Hebrew. We simply call it early morning because we base time on the Roman calendar, where a new day always begins at 12 midnight. So again, we have the morning bokeh, sunrise. We have evening number one, Erev, which is Tso'oraim. We have evening number two, which is Bohashemesh, the coming of the sun. We have night, in Hebrew, Lila, with the three stars. And then finally in Hebrew, Shachar, 
which is the early morning that brings on the first light or the break of day or what we call dawn. Those are your five defined day parts in biblical Hebrew. And you can find all of these terms in your Bible when you're reading in the Hebrew. So this can help us to understand and compare the calendar of the Pharisaic Judeans, often referred to as the Jews, who embraced the construct of a new day beginning with the coming of the sun, or when the sun drops below the western horizon, which is what we call sunset. That's when their new day began. And then six hours later at midnight, literally in military time, zero hundred hours, that's when a new Roman day began. And most cultures today operate on that cultural paradigm where a new day begins when the clock ticks zero hundred hours. But if you don't want to be Romish about it, and you don't want to be Pharisaic about it, then you can be biblical, and you can do it when the sun rises on the eastern horizon, and that begins your new day. Now let me take you into the definition of a Roman day, a Roman night, and a Roman watch. As I said previously, during the first century of the Roman period of Judea, a new day always began at zero hundred hours, or what we call twelve midnight. Unlike Jewish religious reckoning, where a new day always starts six hours earlier with sunset, and it always ends twenty-four hours later, with the next sunset. In summary, we have this. Zero hundred hours begins the new Roman day. So then, zero six hundred hours is called the sixth hour of the morning. And by the way, this is going to be very important to understand when you begin reading about the narrative of Yeshua appearing before Pilate at the sixth hour of the day. It's not at 12 noon like you would think it would be. No, no. Yeshua appeared before Pilate for his second interrogation on a Thursday morning at 0600 hours, right around sunrise, because that's when Roman procurators like Pilate liked to be up getting all of their business done in the morning hours. They didn't wait till noon. They did it in the early morning hours. We'll learn more about that in an upcoming program. Then three hours later, you would have 0900 hours or the ninth hour of the morning. Then three hours later, at 12 noon, that would be called the twelfth hour of midday. Then, with the sunset of any given day, the Roman day system of numbered hours makes a shift to four numbered nighttime watches, unlike the three nighttime watches of religious traditional Judaism under the Pharisees. And to help us understand, we have this from Roman church historian Jerome, 
who wrote in his history, the Epistles, 140.8. The night is divided into four watches, of which a single one is reckoned to be a period of three hours. He's speaking about Roman time reckoning. So, this brings us to the four Roman nighttime watches. It begins with sunset at about 1,800 hours, and it goes to 2,100 hours, or 6 o'clock to 9 o'clock. That was called the first watch of the evening. Then 2,100 hours to 0,100 hours, or 9 o'clock to 12 midnight. That was called the second watch of the night. Then at 12 midnight, or Zero hundred hours to zero three hundred hours or midnight to three, that would be called the third watch of the dawn. Then zero three hundred hours to zero six hundred hours or what we could call as three o'clock to six o'clock, that was considered the fourth watch of the morning. And I'll have more to say on all of these in upcoming programs because they are going to play into our understanding of the last week of Yeshua from his Passover to his third day resurrection. Now this brings us to daylight hours and nighttime watches as they appear in the gospel records or the gospel narratives. When reading through the gospel narratives, it is important to pay attention to what we're told about the numbered hours of the day or the night as the reckoning that determines whether any given interval was either according to religious Jewish tradition or secular Roman counting. So for this, I once again suggest that you go to my website at www. Dot .comminghome.co.il and click on the available free resources on the homepage menu. Then when you get to the drop-down menu, click on Podcast Extras and follow along with me using the information that I've posted there on the site to help you track along with my explanations. To begin with, let's start with Mark 6.48. Then he, referring to Yeshua, saw them, referring to his disciples, straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. Now, about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea, and would have passed them by. Now, the reference to the fourth watch of the night is written according to Roman reckoning rather than Jewish reckoning, likely because in the Second Temple period, Judea was influenced by Greco-Roman culture and under the Roman system of authority. Therefore, I think it is fair to say that the fourth watch referred to by Mark in 648 is speaking about 0300 hours to 0600 hours. And sadly, this is where I must bring our episode to a close because I'm out of time for today. Yah willing, when I return next week, 
We'll pick up with all of this detail relating to the daylight hours and the nighttime watches as they are written about in the gospel narratives. On the next study, we're going to learn about the overnight watch that is called the cock crow or the rooster crow. Now, this is important to understand as it directly is connected to Peter's denials of Yeshua. Briefly, we'll find out that the nighttime rooster crow or cock crow is not such an easy interpretation to make as much as many out there would like to make it very easy because it's not about something historical so much as it is more about the local Jewish and Roman culture of the Second Temple period. And there's a lot more to it than meets the eye. So we'll come back to the story next time, and I'll try to explain it in some greater detail. Also on next week's episode, we'll have a close look into some of the more prominent features of the two Jewish religious calendars of the Second Temple period. Calendars that I'm referring to as official and unofficial. At the time when Yeshua was doing his ministry, an official reckoning of the days was based on the Qumran Tzadok 7's calendar. The calendar relies on the sun for his testimony to regulate the observances of all the biblical Moedim or the festivals, whereas official reckoning, as I'm referring to the term, was based on the Pharisaic lunar-solar system, with the moon regulating the biblical Moedim, or festivals of Jehovah. So there's this difference between the sun and the moon doing the regulating of the festivals in the Bible. Also, with our next analysis, we'll have a look at the Second Temple period definition for the term hour as it was used by Yeshua in his ministry. Obviously, the term hour had multiple meanings, physical, spiritual, and yes, prophetic. But as a literal timekeeping expression for the hours of a day in the ancient physical world, one hour did not necessarily mean 60 minutes as we know it today. Of course, Today, we have precise computer technology to tell us when we have passed through 60 minutes. However, in Hebrew biblical days, one hour could mean as little as 40 minutes or as much as 75 minutes, depending on the season of the year. So, how did they deal with that? And how is it that Yeshua could say that there are 12 hours in a day in John 11, 9 through 10. Well, the simple answer is that he didn't say that, at least not the way we would like to understand it. Back in the time period of Yeshua, the 24-hour period of sunrise to sunrise, or even sunset to sunset, was calculated by what we would call divisions of time. And there were not always 12 divisions in a day. And finally, I'll be talking about in what year did Yeshua fulfill his ministry. I will attempt to show you 
that based on a side-by-side comparison between the two different religious calendars of the time, there really appears to be only one possible year where all of the biblical timing works out perfectly. That would be in what we would refer to as year 27 of the Common Era. At least, that's what I have discovered in my research of the year 27. Now, I realize that not everyone is going to be in agreement with the exact year of Yeshua's crucifixion and third-day resurrection, with many pegging their dating of Yeshua's crucifixion and third-day resurrection to dates between 29 of the Common Era and 33 of the Common Era. However, according to my knowledge and my research, it appears that Yeshua began his ministry at Passover in what we would call year 26. Then he completed his ministry 52 weeks later at Passover in the year 27 of the Common Era. No, he did not have a ministry for three and a half years. No, he did not have a ministry for 70 weeks to fulfill that of what's written about in Daniel. I say 52 weeks, and I'll talk about it on an upcoming podcast. And I have plenty of good reasons why this is the case and why I consider this date accurate. And I'll be sharing those details with you in an upcoming program. Well, that's it for now. I want to thank you for joining me, okay? You have been listening to episode 116 and part 3 in my series on the timeline of Yeshua's last Passover week. If you have any questions or comments, do navigate over to my website at www.cominghome.co.il Again, cominghome.co.il Yeah, willing, I'll see you next week. Thanks again for being with me today. I'm Avi Ben-Mordechai, and you're listening to Real Israel Talk Radio.